0: It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast,
1: featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa.
2: hey thanks for joining us real quick promise please find us and follow us at Mystery pod on instagram facebook and twitter we have curated content on pinterest and flipboard check out our channels on tiktok and youtube and if you would be so kind like that famous prince we all know please show us some love and rate and review us positive vibes only right
1: but first
0: Champagne.
2: Hi, this is Carrie. Larissa is starting the show in a second. Real quick, the audio is not the best on this one, but if you stick it out, it'll be way less noticeable. Take my word for it. I had to listen to it a lot during the editing process. This was part two of another episode we recorded, hence why we're just kind of getting right to the point. I'm kind of behind right now in posting episodes, but promise I'm getting back in the saddle, literally and figuratively. And here's the story of the messy Seagram's heirs. Okay,
3: so this week on the apple does not fall far from the tree, which is, which is not our generational title, but okay, have you ever heard of the Seagram's family? Uh, yeah, is that ginger ale or liquor? Liquor, spirits. It's liquor. I think it's ginger ale. I think it's everything that can be put into liquor.
2: On those mats at the diners. You know what I'm talking about? Where they put all the pictures of the drinks and you'd see Seagram's on there. Exactly.
3: I used to like Seagram's 7 and 7, which is such an old timey drink that it's ridiculous. Um, So Seagram's is a worldwide liquor brand. And the family, Yekiel and Mendel Bronkman, were tobacco farmers in Tsarist Russia in 1898. Now they fled to Canada and they tried to grow tobacco there. And one of their sons, who was 11 at the time, made comments on how much liquor was sold at the hotels. And that's how they got the idea that they they would move to liquor. And that led to the Seagram's dynasty. Son of Yakel, Samuel eventually took control the Seagram's brand after the American prohibition and made the brand the number one distiller in the US and Canada. Now during the prohibition, the family set up shop just across the Canadian border and made a fortune as US-based competitors dried up. So like all these other brands were going under and Seagram's was like doing gangbusters. They were skyrocketing. They
0: say that the British cannot fix anything properly without a dinner. But I'm sure the Americans can fix nothing without a drink. If you meet, you drink. If you make acquaintance, you drink. If you close a bargain, you drink. They drink because it's hot. They drink because it's cold. If successful in elections, they drink and rejoice. If not, they drink and swear. They begin to drink early in the morning. They leave off late at night. They commence it early in life and they continue it Until they soon drop into the grave.
1: Captain Frederick Marriott.
3: He labeled his alcohol as medicine. So they were taking the alcohol (laughs) and they had labels like liver and kidney cure, which in reality, I mean, if you drink enough grapes, you're going to be dragging your liver behind you.
2: Oh, for real.
3: with With a rope, you know, dandy bracer. Liver and rockabye baby cure, rockabye cough cure, which if you get shit-faced enough, of course you're going to sleep through the night, right?
2: Did you get, put, get liquor on your gums when you were, when you were teething? I,
3: my family has always put liquor on the baby's gums. Like when Jake was a baby,
2: they're like, put brandy on his gums. My mother-in-law is from Ireland, from Tipperary. They would eat Vicks fable Rub, like eat it. Eat it? That was their cure for everything. Can you not die from that? that's what I thought. They would get like, miners cough without even like the mining part. Cause I can't even imagine. I think It clearly says should not be ingested, right? It doesn't say refrigerate after use. <laughs> but my grandma was all about putting, you put a little brandy on the gums.
3: Oh yeah. My mom was cabbage was the cure for everything. And I'm telling <laughs> you, I used to think it was crazy. Cabbage diet with grapefruit. No, she would make me put cabbage on my knee when I hurt my knee. And strangely enough, it makes it feel better. (laughs) Cabbage. So rumor has it that Samuel was linked to gangsters, Meyer Lansky, and maybe even Al Capone. Amid the
1: strongmen and murderers who fought the Prohibition gangster wars, only one mob boss built his crime empire on the strength of his word. A handshake from Meyer Lansky was worth more than the strongest contracts that a battery of lawyers could put together. Meyer Lansky, the casino king, the quiet godfather, the very image of humility and modesty. He dressed very well. He never had loud clothes. He said, I don't want to be too flashy. A shrewd master manipulator who claimed that he never killed a man.
0: He did business and made his living through men who regularly killed people, and so is equally guilty.
1: Lansky turned a natural genius for numbers into a multi-million dollar gambling empire. High rollers made and lost fortunes at his casino tables. And the hundred dollar bills were that high.
3: Oh, they were just incredible.
1: Did I enjoy it? I'm sure it was profitable too.
3: And at Sam's funeral in 1971, reports show that the Montreal airport was temporarily closed. This is Montreal airport, huge airport, to regulate traffic to accommodate the stream of private jets.
2: So this man had
3: the connects.
2: We've never heard of him. Like, I feel like he's one of those undercover millionaires or undercover. Billionaires. Yeah. yeah, Dynasty families.
3: Yes. I mean, you know the name, but you have no idea how they came about. So his son, Samuel's son, Edgar Bronfman Sr., eventually took over the company. But his legacy seems to be producing problematic children. So Edgar kind of had some crappy kids and they got into a little thing. First of all, his daughter Claire and Sarah Bronfman were involved in an upstate New York cult Nexium. So Nexium, if you don't know, was headed by Keith Rainier and it claimed to be a self-improvement group. And it offered this, this life coaching, neuro-linguistic programming, group therapy, all this stuff that you would think like a registered doctor or a psychiatrist would be head of, right?
2: Do you remember the first time you heard of them? Cause I'll tell you when mine was. The first time I ever heard of Catherine Oxenberg was when she had a reality show and she had that really hot younger husband. And I found out she was a princess.
3: Now, she is the daughter of a princess who made her acting debut playing, playing Lady Diana in the 1982 movie, The Royal Romance of Charles and Diana. Catherine Oxenberg then went on to find incredible fame in the smash primetime soap dynasty. But her fairy tale life spiraled into a true American horror story when she was confronted with a nightmare. Our Craigie Bennett sat down with the actress to hear how she rescued her own daughter from the clutches of an alleged sex cult in this Studio 10 exclusive.
0: And I feel as though I should be genuflecting, actually, because Mm -hmm. you're not only Hollywood royalty, but you are rigidage royalty, in that your mother is Her Royal Highness Princess of Yugoslavia.
4: Yes, she is, and was, because Yugoslavia uh, has ceased to exist, Mm -hmm. strangely enough, so um, she's now probably Princess of Serbia, more likely.
0: Catherine is also related to the British royal family. She's the second cousin of Prince Charles and the third cousin of Prince William. I don't. <laughs> well, that seems to be a shame, doesn't it?
4: I'm not part of the inner circle, Craig, sorry to say.
0: Oh. It's interesting because 1982 it was, your acting break, you wind up playing Lady Diana Spencer in a movie that was seen all
2: he came forward about her daughter India. I thank God that was like a happy ending, but she took a lot of risk because if I went to the press about stuff that has happened in my my kids would probably be like, oh, We're never talking to you again, mom. But I feel like that exposed it with Catherine Oxenberg.
0: But her most challenging chapter lay ahead when she discovered her daughter India had been swept up into the clutches of a controversial sex cult.
4: She left my nest and fell into their nest, and their nest. Was a barbed wire prison. If somebody like my daughter, who's so grounded and so intelligent and has such deep insight, if she can fall prey to a predatory environment like Nixium, anybody is susceptible.
0: Catherine's daughter, India, was planning to launch a baking business back in 2011. So upon receiving recommendation from a friend, Catherine took India along to a so-called self-help group called Nexium in a bid to enrich her then 19-year-old's entrepreneurial spirit.
4: I wasn't very taken by the intro. I, I thought it was a bunch of platitudes. There was nothing in his pitch that I thought was particularly salient, particularly unique. And I was ready to leave and turn my back and never go back. And I asked India, expecting her to have had the same reaction as me, because I had dragged her to pretty much everything growing up, from ashrams to you name it. And she said, this is for me. And I was shocked. And I said, well, who do you want to do it with? And she said, you. You.
0: So, in the name of mother-daughter bonding, Catherine ignored her better judgment and signed them up for a five-day program. That was in May 2011.
4: And immediately, I noticed things that rubbed me the wrong way, but I overlooked them.
0: You were doing this for your daughter?
4: I was doing it for her, and I didn't know that weird meant dangerous. I didn't recognize that that gut pull in me that went, uh, this is rubbing me the wrong way, that was my internal radar going, red flag, danger. I watched them separate us in the group, and they introduced all of this terminology. They start to introduce words like suppressives and parasite strategies and shifters. And you have to learn a new language. Nothing is innocent. These groups are well-oiled machines. They know exactly what they're doing. They understand the devious steps of indoctrination.
5: Who here? is here to have fun yeah okay at what
0: point did you realize that she'd been indoctrinated
4: part of me was justifying the fact that she was distancing herself as a natural evolution of her maturing and no longer being the little girl but being an independent adult
0: clever strategy on their behalf too very because it? Um, it dovetailed in perfectly with yes. the natural progression Of a daughter growing up and leaving the nest, as it
3: were.
4: Exactly. But instead of individuating, she left my nest and fell into their nest. And
3: their nest was a barbed wire prison. So, Rainier described himself as an activist, a scientist, a philosopher, and humanitarian. But before founding Nexium, which which is spelled like N-X-I-V-M, so it should just be Mersham. Keith ran a company that offered discounts to members on groceries. So he had no background in any sort of life coaching, therapy. He was like, he was a huckster because they later found out that the grocery discount thing was a pyramid scheme and he shut it down. So, I mean, tons of people would come to these Nexium classes. Around 17,000 people attended his classes, his workshops. Was based in upstate New York. I'm telling you, nothing good happens in upstate New York besides Cooperstown.
2: No, it does not. There's so many cults out of there. My dad used to deliver to cults. He's like, they would literally come out of the trees and then just melt back in. There, there's nothing good happens up there. They have UFOs. They have cults. They have woods people. Like it is scary, some scary shit. But
3: eventually, it was like a worldwide presence. And he would target these lightweight. Hollywood B listers like Alison Mack, she was on Smallville, Captain Oxenberg's daughter, India, and he preyed upon women more than men. And the reason he did that is it ultimately ended up being like a sex slave operation where he had.
2: He like studied Manson.
3: Yeah, he had sex with almost all the females, you know, a a number of them that were in this. It was called DOS, DOS, and it was Latin for uh, master over submissive women
2: could not I could not do it because I would bring out all my insecurities like why am I not getting picked <laughs> I, I cannot be a cult because that's for like self-improvement because it would already be bringing out all my insecurity issues
3: and I couldn't handle the branding because he actually branded them
2: and he mean, he just
3: looked ter- he had like this 70s haircut with these feathered bangs like Sean Cassidy. It was just a mess. The reason Claire plays into this is she was the daughter of Edgar. As we know, he had some crappy kids. And she was an heir. And she never finished high school, which is really weird for a person with that much money and that much stature not to finish high school. And she was a really good equestrian, though. Apparently, Claire gave Nexium. She got into Nexium. Uh Keith wanted to make her this equestrian that was going to the Olympics. So she gave him, she and her sister entered the, the cult and they gave him like $2 million. And then overall, they ended up giving him like $150 million. But Edgar Bronkman Sr., the father, eventually took a NXIVM intensive course because he saw the improvement in his two daughters and gave the group outstanding reviews. He cut ties, though, when he found out that Claire had given the organization This was in the early days. She gave them $2 million. So he said, you know what? I think it's a cult. I'm out. Peace. Later days. Eventually, Keith Rainier started coaching Claire in her equestrian pursuits. That's when he wanted her to go to the Olympics. And he had no experience with horses. I mean, he had experience with discount groceries. And that's about it. I mean, he knew nothing about horses.
2: (laughs) And And a good mullet. Good. He knows how to do a good feather feather blowout. So after the dad said,
3: "This is a cult," you know, pull out of there. Keith was was guilting Claire. He's like, "Your dad's mean. He has no idea what this is. This is to better ourselves. You're a bad girl. You have to give me money." So he guilted her into her paying for him even more. She's, he was like, you know, your dad saying evil stuff about me. You should feel so guilty. You need to, you need to give me more money. You need to keep this afloat. And of course, she got sucked in. And
6: my goal was to expose Nexium. Frank has connections to many former Nexium members, Hey! <laughs> who have opened up to him about their experiences under Keith Rainieri's control nexium attorneys employed different private investigators to get information on individuals and said that it was perfectly legal it was
5: perfectly legal
6: getting information on on people one individual claims that keith ranieri was a master hypnotist Keith was very expert at subliminal suggestion hypnosis and very very subtle techniques about psychology indoctrination influence religion And I think he really
2: perfected
6: this method. I'm going to have you do something with your left hand, your right hand, and then I'm going to ask you to do the hard thing. I I do this, and it's with a twisted sense of, of pleasure. We have a very unique,
5: specific methodology to do this. What you really got as a student was something far different than what was promised what the classes were were nothing more than a super sophisticated
1: hypnotic induction program and the secret suggestion was follow Keith Raniere
3: Keith obviously had an aura around him that was promoted by people around him so that When you met him, you were already primed to experience him in a certain way. It's the same as if your friend says, Oh my God, you
6: aren't going to believe this. The guru is going to come and the guru is going to lift himself off the chair. And then you go to the meeting
3: and all these people think the guru lifted himself off the chair. And that's a very known psychological effect. It's not new and innovative. It's mostly NLP.
6: NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming, is a means of manipulating people without their informed consent
5: it's based on reading them, their body language, their breathing rhythm, the way in which they are most likely to be influenced by a certain way of painting a picture verbally. People get into roles, and the roles are mutually reinforcing. As many narcissists do, and as many cult leaders do,
3: and as many sociopaths do, he had the ability to read people and to tap into what spoke to them, and he could build that rapport, and it made him seem special.
0: Even ask the question: Is this is this thing alive? Is this thing thinking?
3: You know, it kind of seems like she wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, and she wanted that love, and which is weird because her dad loved her.
2: And it's so weird when you see rich families that it's the outlier of the genetic pool. Everybody's like smart or they have the drive, and then you have that little outlier that's like <laughs> somehow. <laughs> didn't get in that the, the, island cool. of, the island of daft they're just on their own little island yeah like who wants a charlie in the box you know
3: <laughs> so she actually funded a lot of his legal battles because he had a lot of enemies like at&t and microsoft for allegedly he, he mounted all these legal battles against them for stealing his intellectual property which What was it? Coupons on how to buy cheap groceries. I don't know. Anyway, he lost and had to pay hundreds of thousands to cover the cost of the company's legal fees. And she was pumping in money. He lost 70 million on investments and blamed the Illuminati, which, by the way, I don't doubt that. I mean, I think the Illuminati is behind my socks when they go missing. I think they're behind me, not finding parking spaces. It's a good fallback, the Illuminati. (laughs)
2: <laughs> i only know about them because the dan brown books i learned all about them so now i'm like they're everywhere
5: when it comes to symbols of the past there are still a lot of people who ascribe extranatural powers to symbols sign of the cross number 13 luck symbols bad luck symbols at what point though do benign symbols become malignant
3: everything is illuminating well, he also claimed that the Illuminati was run by Claire's dad. So that's a convenient excuse. So then <laughs> apparently she spent $2 million to get the Dalai Lama to meet Rainier. And this is an interesting story. How she did with that was she and her sister brought the Dalai Lama to Albany to participate in the WEFC's inaugural event. Now, what they did was in order to blend in more, they created part of Nexium was called the World Ethical Foundations Consortium to get the Dalai Lama to come. They had to phrase it as something else, right? They got him to come and give a talk. And during the event, he presented Rainier with a white scarf on stage. Now, the, the Dalai Lama additionally wrote the foreword to the book The Sphinx and The Lexpia, which Rainier co-authored in 2009, which who is coaching the Dalai Lama? Why the F would you let the Dalai Lama write a foreword to any book by some kook?
2: I know. I was just thinking the same thing. I'm like, who's his representation?
3: (laughs) Well, this is the funny thing. So eight years later, it would be revealed that Claire's sister, Sarah, had had a 2009 sexual relationship with Lama Tenzin Dondon, the Dalai Lama's gatekeeper. So the guy who's making the decision is (laughs) giving the sister Lama ass all day long. They're making bad decisions as a group. It's like bad decision Lama group is what I have to say about that. Anyway, so eventually, you know, she just keeps on, Sarah keeps on fighting all of his legal battles, keeps on pumping m- money into Nexium. And in 2017, there was an elite inner circle of Nexium that had a Latin name and that was DOS, Master over submissive women. It didn't start out that way. And that's when they had like gotten all these women to submit to him. The group was claiming to support women empowerment somehow. In the same circle, um, the New York Times claimed that most women in this group were in their 30s and 40s, but another woman claimed at, at 18 she was recruited into the group. The prosecutors alleged that Renier assaulted two underage girls and committed psychological torture, like telling a member to remain in her room where she stayed for almost two years.
2: He studied Scientology and Manson and it together. He combined the two
5: love all the pain that you've caused
1: people all oh, the anguish
5: you've oh i don't know pain i don't know pain i have no depth of pain i have no
0: depth of suffering i don't know ridicule the rantings of a madman charles manson in full flight fault make strong good pain understand pain not bad pain's not bad it's good but somehow manson made sense to the disaffected and impressionable. He collected them, mainly young women. Child loves us to be beautiful. And he let us be beautiful. And as their self-declared messiah, set up a commune at an old ranch just half an hour north of Los Angeles. To outsiders and filmmakers, Manson's ranch was what the 60s was all about, free love and plenty of LSD. But it would soon turn much darker.
3: His biggest talent, if you will, an evil talent, was to prey on the very, very young and vulnerable. Uh, Some of his followers were
0: as young as 12 years old. Journalist Linda Deutsch is a longtime observer of Charles Manson and the girls who were drawn to him. The
3: people who followed Manson were, as he said, he said, these are your children. And they were they were children from ordinary families who got sucked into a cult he could say the most inane things and they would think that it was it was gospel so then new york times the initial article that launched the fbi investigation in 2017 also claims that there were a few ignored reports and complaints filed with various government departments and officials over the years one of which the state medical regulators declined to act on a complaint filed against a nexium affiliated doctor where he showed women violent film clips while they were hooked to a brainwave machine. It came out in court that the women that were part of this group, that they were branded with a symbol that contained Riniers' initials and had to give their masters new photographs or other information as collateral, and the women themselves were referred to as slaves. So this is when this whole slave thing starts. And this is when Ellison Mack, the Smallville girl, goes out and recruits. This is like the active recruiting where you send the female out because she's more trusted to other fields It's like the Ghislaine Maxwell story all over again. Completely. Even when we go down the night guard rabbit hole later on, it's that whole thing where they buddy up with a female to go do their recruiting and bring these women in. So by this time, he had blackmail and collateral of all these slaves that were forced to have sex with Rainier and recruit others. So the sentencing, what actually happened is in 2017, the New York times article opened up Nexium to an FBI investigation. And that's when Rainier fled to Mexico. So he's hiding out in Mexico in 2018 an arrest warrant was issued and Mexico police found Rainier in a closet in his luxury villa with several women. That's got to be one hell of a closet because I'm telling you right now, we moved and I have the smallest damn closets. (laughs) But if you can put sex slaves and their master in one closet, that's a big closet. That is value for your money in that house right there. I would buy that house for the closet alone, not for the sex slaves that all the horrible things that went on. They found him. Claire was indicted and arrested a few months later with other key members of Nexium. Forbes reports her $100 million bond was secured by $25 million in cash and $25 million in real estate, a.k.a. her island in Fiji. I mean, that's kind of the the next step. If I get arrested, I'm going to just tell them, you know, get my island off of Croatia or get my island in Fiji. You have an island, surely, right?
2: Oh, yeah. So
3: this whole time, though, she's standing up for him. She, and guess who she gets as her lawyer? She gets Garagos, Mark Garagos. And he was a conspirator in extortion with Nike Corporation. Uh, and he also represented like Scott Peterson, Michael Jackson. So she, she got like the best of the best, but it ended up hurting her.
2: Well, I think uh, Scott Peterson got the death sentence.
1: Few news stories captivate the public more than reports that stars may have done something wrong. Michael Jackson accused of child molestation. Chris Brown charged with abuse. Headlines like these are as memorable as they are polarizing, largely because of the courtroom outcomes they ultimately spawn. Outcomes orchestrated in many cases by a man named Mark Garagos. Tonight, ABC's David Wright sits down with the lawyer to the stars. He's a celebrity lawyer, not just because his client roster includes so many famous names. See who my lucky is. Chris Brown, for instance. Oh we um, man, craps first thing out. Look at that. Still on probation for beating his girlfriend Rihanna. Thank you, my very No, Mark Garagos is a celebrity lawyer in the sense that he's one of the best-known trial lawyers in the country. I don't believe it. That- famous for defending the infamous including scott peterson do you really believe scott peterson was innocent okay as um really look i will tell you i'm not even sure in that case that there was a murder committed garagos famously lost that case his client now on death row for killing his pregnant wife Lacey peterson a crime so vile it cost garagos his most famous client michael jackson do you regret choosing Scott Peterson over Michael Jackson but I was already so heavily invested in Peterson it was a death penalty case I did not want to drop the client he said you got to choose here right and I think if you're Michael at that point, and I understood it and I told him look I'm not going to dump one client for another if you're not comfortable you've got to do what you've got to do Jackson went on to win his sexual molestation case The Jackson trial had more twists and turns than a three-ring circus, beginning with the arraignment handled by Garagos. Everybody remembers that moment when he jumped on the hood of the car. What were you thinking? You know, the first thing that went through my mind was, how in the hell did this guy, at this age, able to (laughs) jump like that? Garagos shares anecdotes from these and other cases in his new book, Mistrial.
3: Claire, she was not accused of being a member of the inner circle submissive women's group, but she was the one who was kind of funding everything. She was aware of the group and its sex trafficking. The judge sh- said she should have distanced herself from him. Instead, she chose to double down on her support of Renier. Ex-followers told the judge that for years, Bromman had used her wealth to try and silence Nexium defectors. So not only was she funding Nexium, she was actually paying off people who left who were going to badmouth it. She actually paid $6 million to the federal government and pled guilty to felony charges of harboring an illegal alien and the fraudulent use of a deceased person's identity. I tried to scour the internet to what that deceased person's identity was. I couldn't find anything out about that. So I don't know what that means. I don't
2: understand. Her dad should have just cut off her money. He should have just, he should have done a conservatorship like what happened with Brittany with Brit, Britt. Britt. And then, like, you're throwing away our family money. There's got to be something in trust. There's got to be some people that are like monitoring that. Yeah,
3: that, that's true. Brittany doesn't even have that much money. and She's still, she's four, almost 40, and she's still got a conservator. So, Claire was sentenced to an 81 month prison term, a $500,000 fine, and had to pay $100,000 to Nexian victims in September of 2020. $100,000? I mean, seriously, she gave $6 million to the federal government. They couldn't get more out? I mean, that's just ridiculous. If she had gone to trial, she could have faced 25 years in prison.
4: It's just like the Hamptons, only fucking horrible.
3: Since she took the plea deal. She avoided acquisitions by prosecution. And she herself was in a sexual relationship with Renier, and she helped him acquire other women. On April 19, 2019, Bronkman pleaded guilty to a conspiracy to conceal and harbor illegal aliens for financial gain and fraudulent use of identification. That's it. 81-month prison term. So I guess she started it. I have no idea if she started it, if they kept her out because of the pandemic. I mean, all this went down before the pandemic, so who knows if she even went?
2: Can you imagine being in a cult with your sister? Talk about sister issues to like... I couldn't be in a cult with my sister. I love my sister. She's my best friend. Like my family already feels cultish. Like we have a lot of dysfunction, but, and we celebrate it and we like embrace it, but her and I do not need to be in a cult together.
3: No. I mean, at some point, wouldn't someone be wiser and say, okay, sis, I think this is a bad idea. Maybe we should get out of this. Or did they both just drink the Kool-Aid?
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, how how enmeshed is their relationship or did it raise up like competition between them? Like, what was the deal, you know? They
3: had to be like Irish twins, I feel. They had to be close in age in order to really go along with it hand in hand.
2: Because normally if one's
3: older or younger, one has a question.
2: So did you ever hear about the brother? What went down with the brother? All right, so back in the 70s, you remember Patty Hearst.
6: Kidnapping crimes and conviction of Patty Hearst are a saga as surreal as their era.
5: The 1970s were the craziest times of the 20th century. Political violence, economic disaster with gas lines, political crisis with Watergate.
6: Out of that chaos came the Symbionese Liberation Army or the SLA a disorganized but deadly domestic terrorist group of just eight people who in February 1974 kidnapped 19-year-old Cal Berkeley student Patricia Hearst.
1: In retrospect, I have trouble figuring out what it was that these people wanted, except to be noticed, and that they certainly accomplished.
6: She was the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, newspaper tycoon and inspiration for the 1941 film Citizen Kane. American heiress author Jeffrey Toobin.
5: As the names Gates or Zuckerberg are today, the name Hearst was to the 1970s.
6: While Hearst's parents pleaded for her to come home, the SLA released a series of audio recordings confirming her kidnapping. I'm making this tape to uh, let you know that I'm still okay. Just two months after her kidnapping, the SLA robbed a San Francisco bank, and there was Patricia Hearst, automatic rifle in hand, looking more like a gunman than a victim.
5: The impact of the photographs of Patty Hearst with the machine gun were in some ways even bigger than the kidnapping itself because it established, or so it appeared, that Patty Hearst had gone over to the other side.
6: It was a story the press and the public could not resist, even if there was more to that photo than people realized.
5: The head of the Symbionese
1: Liberation Army her we're gonna rob her bank. you're gonna be up front there'll be a number of guns behind you one false step on your part and we'll gun you down
6: after the hibernia robbery the SLA and their apparent newest member became America's most wanted fugitives finally turning up a month later in Los Angeles as two of her kidnappers get stopped by security at a sporting goods store Hearst left alone with car keys and an assault rifle shot up the building to come to their aid.
5: That was really the moment where she really established that she was really a member of the SLA and no longer a victim.
6: The fallout was immediate. The next day, her other six captors were tracked down to a house in South Central LA and killed in a shootout with LAPD. More than a year on the run followed, including another bank robbery in which a mother of four, Myrna Opso, was killed while helping her church deposit donations. Hearst drove the getaway car. She was arrested in September 1975, 19 months after her kidnapping. Magazines like Time were billing the case as the trial of the century.
2: And you remember the Getty story of kidnapping?
5: Yes. He was the richest man in the world. But when billionaire John Paul Getty's 16-year-old grandson was kidnapped, he refused to pay a dime in ransom.
1: They will do things to Paul that cannot be undone for any amount of
5: money. We have to pay. I have no money to spare. The real kidnapping in Italy in 1973 made headlines around the world. The teenager's distraught mom pleaded with the kidnappers. She's played by Michelle Williams.
6: I don't care why you did this, but I ask as a mother that you think of your own children or of the child that you once were and set my boy free, thank you.
5: The oil tycoon's lawyer is played by Timothy Hutton. We caught up with him at the movie's Los Angeles premiere. Everyone was on an allowance and it was up to him solely whether or not the uh, the ransom was gonna be paid and he declined to, to pay it. That scene is depicted this way it's in All the Money in the World. Grandson.
1: I have 14 grandchildren. If I start paying ransoms, I'll have 14 kidnapped grandchildren.
2: Well, two years later, their half-brother Samuel was kidnapped from his mother's home when he was 21. Wait, so wait, their half-brothers, so his dad re- her, their dad remarried? So he was 21... Gets kidnapped from the mom's home. This is Sarah and, or, and Claire's brother. I'm telling you, like, okay. never heard of this. Like, and even, even getting the records for this, I'm like, why is this not in the Reels channel or some People Magazine special, okay? So ransom tapes, you know, remember the old school cassette tapes? I'm surprised it wasn't an A track Was sent to Edgar, you know, the one that was going to like the self, yeah, the self-help. Daddy,
3: family. this poor guy, this poor guy.
2: This, I really feel bad for this guy. I really do. So he got he gets this ransom cassette tape saying that, or maybe they maybe it was even on reels because I don't even think they had cassette tapes the 70- seventy <laughs> reels are real. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like you got to play it. He was told that his son was kidnapped and if if he failed to follow directions, his son was going to be killed. What year was this? 1975, August. Okay, picture it in New York, so Kennedy Airport. And so he was told, go to a payphone outside of JFK and told to get a phone call at 8 p.m. You know, the old school phone booths. We'll call you. So Edgar filled two trash bags with about the amount of cash that equated to 2.3 million. Wow, that's a lot! At that time? Yeah, so they were about 75 pounds each. I used to be a paying agent. And so I would take thousands of dollars and fly with the planes. And I remember getting the stack of money and I was very disappointed because I thought it was going to be like rap video money, like laid out on the bed. So yeah. I don't know if he went with small bills or what, because I was, I was very disappointed with what a hundred thousand dollars look like. So, like, did he
3: collect it at a strip joint and just like, you know, how strippers collect their singles that are trash
2: bagged? Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, just give me singles. Exactly. So he met his son's kidnappers on a dark Queen street and undercover police were nearby. And they, of course, they traced the license plates. This wasn't like the smartest drop. This is not the part where you cue like Unsolved Mysteries music because this is not a mystery. And so the, the truck ended up being traced to Mel Patrick Lynch's Brooklyn home. And so they find Samuel and he was found by FBI agents, and he was loosely bound. He was disorientated, and he's blindfolded. So loosely bound, like they didn't tie him up or anything. I think like very loosely. Yeah, like bedroom games maybe, because when they find out that the Mel Patrick Lynch actually was Samuel's boyfriend. No, yes. and Dominic Byrne, the limousine driver, were both arrested for kidnapping.
5: She did she did it she's the one you want all right i was just sitting at home watching cartoons playing video games with my cousin and she came in there Glenn, All right, hey
1: i am not going to jail for you or anybody else i have done nothing bad my entire life
5: hey man i'm still a virgin
2: so in court lynch claimed that samuel the the actual heir had masterminded his own kidnapping and can be heard in the ransom tapes telling lynch and Byrne, telling the firefighter and the limousine driver I'm going to just use their names because these are very like Irish basic names. Hold on. I'll do it again. When he was pleading with his father on the tapes to pay the ransom, it's almost like, do you remember this story? And I'm not laughing because it's a terrible story, but how they try to like listen into the the tapes of JonBenét Ramsey's mother is like telling her son to go to bed. She's like, go back to bed. And she hangs up on 911 to like yell at her kid. So he didn't yell, hey, cut, let's do that again. Take two. (laughs) No, no, that's why I said it must not be a cassette tape. It had to have been like the old school recording.
3: He wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed either. Like these Seagrams kid really should have just stuck to school. They should have gone to school. Dad should have insisted.
2: So Lynch and Samuel had been romantically involved for more than a year before the kidnapping actually occurred. They had met at a Manhattan gay bar, Uncle Charlie South, in 1974. Did the family know that he was gay? That at that time, that would have been big news. Well, Samuel said that Lynch had threatened him with exposure of his sexuality if he didn't take part in the scheme. And Lynch was 16 years older than Seagram, which back then, even still, your family didn't really. Who knows if the press would even have reported on it. A sworn affidavit revealed that Samuel had tried to get a family friend to help him exploit his family the previous year. And so, yeah, The New York Times had reported that his plan involved making a pornographic film which would include himself and another individual and that the film would be a tool to extract money from his family. He was going to blackmail them with a sex tape, alleging that he was being shaken down by a third party. The affidavit also said that Samuel mentioned how hard it was to get funds from the family when they didn't approve of what was being done. However, obviously Sarah and Claire got a ton of money. I was going to say, I was going to say, I think the dad learned the lesson because they
3: came along later in life. So it was like, just give them all the money they want. They're going to be making sex tapes. They're going to be doing um, a hostage situations. Just give them the money.
2: The same family friend is thought to have been possibly involved with Samuel's uncle. So there's all kinds of family secrets going on. So the $2.3 million in cash was found under a mattress in a New York apartment. <laughs> under a mattress. I know, I love it. It's not, they were not even like original where they kept the money. Not even a floorboard or not like a hidden wall panel. No, we're not talking about the Lindbergh kidnapping here. The alleged gun that was used to force Samuel into the kidnapper's car was bought by Samuel himself, and the cord used to bind his hands came apart while the jury was looking at it. This is like a comedy of errors of kidnapping. Like, don't tie it too tight. (laughs) That hurts. (laughs) Ouch. Bun, bun, that hurts. Don't do that. One week after his kidnapping, Samuel was pictured with his father and his third wife, Georgina Webb, who was married twice and divorced twice. So Samuel obviously had a love-hate with Georgina. Georgina was Claire and Sarah from the previous store's mother. So that was their mother. Oh. Yeah, and they had to delay their wedding for a week because of Samuel getting kidnapped. Uh,
3: So who had to... Okay, so Georgina and Edgar had to delay their wedding. Oh. And, like, he's already not liked. And all of a sudden, Georgie is like, could you just control your shitty kids? Okay, please.
2: Samuel kept it up for a year saying that it was a real kidnapping. But then finally at trial, it came out that Lynch and Byrne never had criminal records. They were loved by their coworkers. Lynch even claimed that Samuel's original plan was to kidnap his 13-year-old brother, which is so much like that movie. Do you remember the movie with Justin Timberlake where they like kidnap the brother? It was based on a true story.
6: We were
1: all kids from good families. We played together. We grew up together. And in 1999, Every day I'm we were all living our own version of the American dream. But Johnny right. ran the show. Ramping 500 A drug dealer? No.
5: Did he sell a load of? Yeah. What up, Jake? You know that thing I told you was gonna take care of? What happened? Just wash out. Okay, well I still gotta get paid, Jake. All of it. Be careful, Johnny. I'm not one of your little friends. Point that thing at me, you better pull the trigger. Man, everyone else fooled around here, but I ain't buying it. Yo, John, isn't that the brother of the guy who owes you money? Are you kidding me? Hello. Hey,
0: hey, what's up?
5: This is all going to get squared away soon, I promise.
6: Kid's older brother owes money and Johnny's holding him like a marker or something until he gets paid.
2: So you're like ransom or something. That's hot. It's okay.
6: It's like another story to tell my grandkids. Stolen boy. This is
2: your lucky night. Get in. Yeah, there was like a drug dad or something and they kidnapped the brother and the brother was like hanging out for a few days, like thinking that he was having the time of his life and they end up killing him at the end. Oh my God. Okay. Lynch told the story. The fireman told the story that Sam promised that if anything went wrong and he would speak to his father and his father would straighten things out. He said that if I had to go to jail, it would only be for a few days. And he promised that if I lost my job, I would be compensated financially. (laughs) Just come on, man. Yeah, like kidnap me. Yeah, exactly. You'll be fine. I'll just tell my dad. Yeah, I gotcha. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. This will work. It's will work.
3: Just we won't get a hiding place for it. Just put it in the mattress. It'll be fine. It'll be all it'll, it'll be over.
2: Exactly. Lynch said that he was in the grip of panic trying to stage the scene when feds began to storm the apartment. Sam's left hand was not tied. We'd only gotten to his right hand as the door was being pushed open. Oh my god. It's so sad. It's almost sad at this point. By the end of deliberations, they decided to convict them of a much smaller crime, grand larceny for extorting money from Ed Edgar. He was sentenced to four to 12 years in prison, and he got out after six. Byrne, the limo driver, was sentenced to three to nine years, and he was paroled after five. Samuel was never convicted of anything. And he was the dumb, dumb ringleader. And one year after the kidnapping, Samuel was married to Melanie Mann just months after the trials finished. She, he married a woman. Oh,
3: you know Edgar was on. He's like, okay, this is the girl you're going to marry, and you're going to do it within the year. Yeah.
2: When Edgar was ready to hand over the company to one of his children, he passed over Samuel, most likely due to this incident. Who did he give it to? How many other kids did he have to give it to? It's not an amazing story. I'm just glad nobody got hurt. I
3: need to know more about this family, though. I need to know who inherited the, fam- the company. I need to know why they didn't um, sentence them. I mean, I need to know why they didn't convict them of stupidity, because that was the world's worst executed crime
5: what on the telescope? We're down here, sir. They're over there on the ground, like you commanded, Gail.
1: I told you not to use my damn name. Can't you even try to keep them forgetting that?
5: Not even your code name? Oh yeah, yeah. My code name. Y'all hear that? We're using code names.
2: They're the most quiet millionaires ever, and they're in all kinds of like trouble. I need
3: to do a deep dive after this and find out who's running the company. It's got to be a smarter sibling. <laughs> it can't be Clarence, Sarah.
0: I hereby sentence you to serve 125 years in the custody of the Commissioner of what? the Department of Corrections.
1: What? 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 <miral Hardy>, mm. <Guard tripletslevals> Como, fire, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Sit, sit. Sit, sit. You know, we didn't do it. There's a misunderstanding. That's we I, didn't do it. We didn't. I didn't. Our lawyer I
0: know, I told didn't. us to
1: come up. <laughs> He's joking. <laughs> he means I we did not do it. See, we, we didn't I'm, do it. Have you
0: got the right case?
1: This is Monroe and Donahue.
0: Harry. Harry. Boy, Monroe. <laughs> Harry Monroe. Look under there.
1: Look sir. under there. Black. Tall. Sir, black, we didn't. black man. How much does that mean in actual time? Thirty years, Tom. I'm gonna be a dead old man. I
5: don't want
1: to do 125, I don't want to do one. Chill, darling.
6: still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. Right,
1: right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Let's play a game, all right? On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it. Ready? One, two, three.
2: Hey, it's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out Miss Intrigue. Deeds and com, but we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, Accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness, a reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie... Misdeeds or intrigue podcast or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and intrigue podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast, host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites and/or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at podcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.